0: I'm still trying to, to get over that. Anyway, uh, my name is Bobby, one of the pastors here at The Ridge. So glad that you guys are here with us today. And uh, we're in a series right now called God of the Underdogs. And in this series, we've been talking about uh, what it means to be an underdog and how God takes and does amazing things through underdogs. Because uh, if there's one thing that I know about myself and, and probably about most of us in this room, is that there have been times that we have felt like underdogs. Like literally, like sometimes you just feel like an underdog, and there are different reasons that we feel like underdogs, you know, and so in this series, we talked about how sometimes our past, the, the things that we've done, the things that we've experienced, the things that we have been a part of in our past can make us feel like an underdog, there are, there are circumstances in our life that, that can make us feel like an underdog, and that, you know, regardless of, of that, because maybe, maybe you're here this morning, and you're, you're thinking, you know, life is pretty good. Like, I don't, I don't really have anything in my life right now that is uh, that is lacking. I don't really have a place in my life right now that, that makes me feel like an underdog. Like, I, I feel like I am on top of things right now. And if that's you, that's awesome. That's awesome. But you know what it's like to have been there. You know what it's like to have been an underdog. And if you don't, it's coming, okay? Like, it, it's going to happen. There will be a time, there will be a moment in your life where you're going to Feel that. You're going to feel what it's like to be an underdog. Um, you know, for me, I've come to understand this, is that if there is anything that has ever made me really, truly feel like an underdog in my life, it's when I lack. It's when, it's when I find myself in a, in a place of need. It's when I find myself in a place of lacking something. Because every single one of us in this room, we have all been in that place, right? Maybe some, some of you are here that this morning where, where you're in a place of lack, you're in a place of need, you're in a place where where there is a place in your life where you lack something. And I want you to be very careful about this too because I want you to understand this, that being in a place of lack isn't necessarily being in a place of needing or wanting just material things. Like we can... We all want material things, right? Like, there are, all, there's, every one of us has a list of stuff that we're like, man, I really want this, right? But I'm not talking about the things that we want. I'm talking about the things that we need, the places of lack where there is an emptiness in our lives right now. For some of you, that, that thing, it's a job. You, you, you have a place of, of lack because, because you need a job. You, you want a job. You want to be able to provide for your family, but you lack a job. And so lacking a job makes you feel empty. Others of you, there's a place of lack in a relationship, whether it be through a friendship, maybe it be with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe it's in your marriage, but, but you lack substance. You lack something there, something, and all of those things, when they begin to to pile on top of us, it makes us feel like an underdog. It makes us feel like, you know what, we're just not good enough, we're not qualified, we're never going to get it together, and we're never going to have it just right, and so I'll always be in second place, I'll I'll always be catching up. That's what it means to to be an underdog, But, but when we find ourselves in these places of lack, in these places of need, there's nothing... That will make us feel more like an underdog than being in those places. And some of you are in those places this morning. Some of you have been in those places for a really long time. Others of you, you know that those places are coming. You know that those places are coming. We live. We live in a in a town that is that is mostly government jobs. And right now, you, you you're you're wondering: Are you going to have a job? Is that job still going to be there? Are you going to be put on furlough? Are you going to? Are, it, it, what, what's going to happen? And so and so you. Find yourself in a place of lack when it comes to reassurance that everything is going to be okay. That everything is going to be okay. But I I know this about about places of lack. Is that when I put my faith in Christ, when my faith is in Jesus, when my when my faith is in Christ, I can't possibly be an underdog. I can't possibly be an underdog. When I put my faith in Christ, I can't possibly be an underdog. And and the reason why is, is this, is that Jesus, understand, Jesus is not an underdog. He has never been an underdog. He will never be an underdog. He is, this Jesus is a man who was crucified, killed, put into a grave, and was resurrected as alive. And we know this because now, I mean, I could say, well, the Bible says that that happened. It's not just the Bible that says that that happened. There were multiple witnesses who said, I saw this man who was once dead, and I saw him, and he is alive. They saw him. They physically put their eyes on him. Thomas physically put his hands on him. And so I don't know about you. I mean, this, is, this is just me. If you're not here yet, that's okay. But I just want to tell you, this is, this is where I am. But if I'm putting my faith into a man who was crucified and then resurrected and is alive and is our savior and our rescuer, then I possibly can't be an underdog when I put my faith there. Because Jesus has never been an underdog. Jesus will never be an underdog. And so, I uh, want you take your Bible and turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4. Um. I want you to know if you need a Bible, we have free Bibles for you. Uh, you pass the table on the way in here called Roots Central. There's Bibles out there. There's uh, books, all kinds of things out there on that table. And, and so if you want or see something out there, please, by all means, those things are free. We want you to have one of those. Take one of those. Scripture will be behind me on the screen back here as well. But 2 Kings chapter 4, it's in the Old Testament, so you can turn uh, to the front there and just flip back a, a, a few books to 2 Kings uh, if you want, there's no shame in your game. If you go to the table of contents, like, don't fake it till you make it. Because at some point, you'll just be like, oh, that looks good, you know. And you'll be reading the wrong thing. Somebody will look down and be like, dude, you're in Samuel. You're like, You're Oh, my bad, you know. It's like, okay. So just go to the table of contents. It's okay. It's cool. All right? It's good. It's good. Second Kings chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1. Let me give you a little background here so you know what's going on. There is uh, a, a guy in this story. His name is Elisha. Now, Elisha, don't confuse him with a guy by the name of Elijah, okay, with a J. This is Elisha with an S. Now, he's a prophet of God, meaning that that God would speak, he would listen to the the voice of God, and then he would speak the words of God to the people of Israel. That's what a prophet did. And so this guy, Elisha, he has come after the prophet before him, whose name was Elisha. Elijah, Now that's confusing, right? So Elijah with a J, he is gone. He, he, he's out of the picture, he's gone. So now we have this guy, Elisha, okay, with an S. And so he is on the scene. Now, he comes across a woman who is a widow. Now, this woman who is a widow, she was believed to have been married to another prophet by the name of Obadiah, okay? Now, none of these n- names really matter, but I'm just trying to give you some background here. All right, so Obadiah, and, and so Obadiah has passed and now she is a widow, and she has two sons. Now, here's the problem. As a prophet, Obadiah and his wife, they, it was believed that they took in other people, some, around some 50 people or so, and basically took care of them. Paid for them, took care of them, clothed them, fed them, this whole thing, around 50-something people or whatever. So when Obadiah dies... This woman, his widow, is left with all of the bills, all of the debt that they had occurred for paying for and taking care of these other people. And so now she is left with all of this debt. And so the creditors are coming to take her son. She has two sons. The creditors are coming to take her two sons as payment for this debt when she encounters this prophet by the name of Elisha. All right, check this out. Second Kings... Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elijah said to her, What shall I do for you? He asked her a question. He says, What, what, what do you want me to do? What, what can I do for you? How can I help you? And this is what she's, he says. This, he says, Tell me. What have you in the house? That's kind of an odd question, right? The first question we kind of get, he's, So she comes to him and she says, the creditors are coming, they're going to take my sons. And so he has a question that probably most of us in his place would have asked, right? What can I do for you? What, what would you how, can I, how can I help you? What is it that I can, I can do for you? But then the next question is kind of odd, isn't it? Because then he says, what can I do for you? Oh, and hey, by the way, what do you got in the house? A little bit of, peep, you know, is he, like, what's he want? Is he want to fix a sandwich, a little PB&J, you know, a little, little ramen noodle? You know, like, like what's, what's he, what's he, what's he, like, why is he asking, hey, what do you got in the house? You yeah, know, you got a recliner, 40-inch TV, can I watch the game? Like, well, I mean, what, what, what's going on, right? Some of you like 40-inch TV, you right, anyway, but like, so, uh, that's all I got. So what I'm working with, okay? So, he, he, he asked, what do you have in the house? Kind of an odd question. There's a point to it. Listen to what she says. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Says, What do you have? What do you have in the house? And she says, I I have nothing in the house. And so her her first answer is, I have nothing. Now, understand this about, about this widowed woman. This widowed woman has, she has what we call major problems. Every one of us in this room, we some now Some of you have some major problems, but every one of us in here, we have entry level problems. You know what an entry you know what the difference between an entry level problem is and a major problem? See, the, the problem is is that sometimes we take our entry level problems and we turn them into major problems. But they're all all, all they really are is entry level problems. For I'll give you an example of an entry level problem: the balls lost in overtime yesterday. I was upset. That's an entry-level problem. It's not a major problem. For some people, it's a major problem. It shouldn't be a major problem. It's an entry-level problem. You called Domino's and asked for sausage, and you got pepperoni. You lost your lid over that. That's an entry-level problem, all right? That is an entry-level problem. The latest selfie that you took on Instagram got zero likes. You're upset. That's an entry-level problem. You know what I'm saying? That funny little... Quote and picture and cat thing that you posted on Facebook. First of all, stop it. Second of all, (laughs) that's an entry-level problem. That's not a big deal. But we make it a big deal sometimes, don't we? We turn those things into big deals. But, uh, you know, truthfully, though, some some of you have major problems. And those, like like this widow, this widow has a major problem. This is not an entry-level problem. This is a major problem. The creditors are going to come and take her children away some of you would like that but she was upset about it she was upset about it she didn't want this to happen she had a debt that she could not pay and so she's asking Elisha for help and Elisha makes himself available he says how can I help you what can I do for you what can I do for you and then he asks what do you have in the house and she's and her first answer is "Uh, nothing her first answer is, I don't have anything in the house. Now, 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 when we find ourselves in a place of lack, isn't that what we do a lot of times? First, is that we fixate on what we don't have. Like we look and, and, and like when we, when we find ourselves in a place of lack, like the only thing that we can focus on is what we don't have. You know, yes, yes. I keep talking about the game. It's the only thing on my mind right now. I'm sorry. But yesterday, I'm watching this game. We're getting ready to go into overtime. Georgia's driving the ball down, down to, the, to the end of the game, right? And I'm sitting there going, and I gotta have something. I need a turnover. I need Georgia to turn over the ball. They didn't turn it over. Entry-level problem again, not a major problem. But listen, sometimes what we do is that we focus on what we don't have. We say, man, I, I, I don't have a job. I don't have a I don't have a good marriage, I don't, I don't have a good relationship, I don't have good children, I don't have, you know, I don't have a lot of money, I don't have a nice house, I don't have, here, here's my favorite, I don't have anything to wear, right, most of us have enough clothes in our closet to clothe the small village, right, but, but we don't have anything to wear, but like, you know, and so, and so we, we focus on what we don't have, and so when we focus on what we don't have, what we tend to do is we forget about what we do have. And so we miss the blessing when we focus on what we don't have and forget to focus on what we actually do have we miss the blessing most of the world most of the world with the exception of america most of the world lives on less than two dollars a day i bet most of us could probably find two dollars in our washing machine or at least in our couch right if you're brave enough to, do, to go there but you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. But we'll fixate on, on what we don't have too often and forget how blessed we really are. So what do you do when you don't have much? What do you do when you find yourself in a place of lack? What do you do when you find yourself in a in a place of need? I, 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 would, I would say it like this, because this is the principle that Elisha teaches here that we'll see in just a minute, is that we have to stop waiting on what we don't have and start working what we do have. We have to stop waiting on what we don't have and start working what we do have. And for those of you that, that, are, that are with me on this, I'll give, me, give you a little hip-hop illustration. You've got to shake what your mama gave you, okay? Nobody? Anybody? Come on, somebody. Don't leave me up by myself. Oh, thank you. All right, so like, you gotta, you, you got you to work. Stop waiting on what you don't have and start working what you do have. Let me show you how let me show you how this works out. Listen to what listen to what the woman says. Elisha says, What do you have in the house? And she says, I have nothing except a small jar of oil. She's got something. She's got something. This oil thing. Oil you're like I mean this we're not talking about Crisco and baking cakes. This is this is good, like this oil is very valuable. It was extremely valuable at this time. They would use this oil for lots of different things. And so any anytime that you would have oil, you would, you would have something of value. And so verse 3, listen, listen to what happens in verse 3. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbor, neighbors, empty the vessels, and not too few. And so he says, go get a bunch of empty jars. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all of these vessels. And one is full, set it aside. And so what he's telling the woman, he says, I want you to actually work what you do have. I want you, to, I want you to use what you do have. I want you to take the oil and I want you to do something with it. Because God can always do more with a little. God can do a lot with a little. God can do a lot with a little. And so when we find ourselves in a place of lack and we say, I don't have blank. Fill in the blank. That's up to you. I don't know what your blank is, but you fill in the blank. I don't have blank. I need blank. I lack blank. But what do you have? What do you have in the house? What do you you have? What do you have? Because you probably have something. And God can actually take what you do have and multiply it and use it to fill your place of lack. Because, listen, if you, have, if you have a little bit of faith, what can God do with a little bit of faith? Because maybe, maybe you lack faith. You say, you know, I, I lack some faith to take that next step right now. I lack faith to take this next step in my life with this next relationship with this next thing. I lack the faith to take this next place and, or this next step with God. What, what, but but I, I, only have a, I have a little bit of faith. You know what God can do with a little bit of faith? Jesus said if you have a little bit of faith, as in faith as tiny as a mustard seed, what do you say? He said you tell a mountain to move and it will move. You've got a little bit of faith, God can use a little bit of faith. What about, you know what, I I, I find myself in a in a place of lack, in a, in a place of need. There was, there was a story where, where Jesus was with a, a whole bunch of people, as in thousands of people, probably around 10,000 people, and they were hungry. They needed food. They needed provision. They needed to be provided for. And so what did Jesus say? He said, what do you have? He was asking a little boy. What did the little boy have? He had some fish and chips, right? He had some bread. He had some fish. Jesus took it and he blessed it and it multiplied and fed over 10,000 people when you count the women and the children in in the crowd. And then there were leftovers. There were leftovers after that. So it wasn't that they, they were all filled with, with what God blessed them with. They were, there, they were filled up. Got a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, God can multiply it. Got a little, little bit of doubt. You doubt that God is maybe just a little bit, like there's just a little tiny piece of doubt in your life where you doubt that God is really who he said he was. Maybe you doubt a little bit that that he's going to do everything that that this book, that this Bible says that he promises he will do. And so you got a little bit of doubt. What can God do with a little bit of doubt? What do you have in the house? I got a little bit of doubt. That's what I got in the house. Thomas had a little bit of doubt. One of the disciples who was with Jesus had a little bit of doubt. Although, and I love the story about Thomas because although Jesus on multiple occasions, told all of his disciples, he said, hey, I'm going to be killed, but I'm coming back. Like he told them that like as plainly as could be, he told them what was going to happen. And so when Jesus was crucified and he's resurrected and Mary comes back to to the room and is like, he is alive, he is resurrected, I saw him. And Thomas is like, "Uh uh-uh, no you didn't. I'm not going to believe you until I put my hands in his wounds. Thomas had a little bit of doubt. What can God do with a little bit of doubt? He can multiply it and he can fill it to give us reassurance. Jesus shows up and is like, "Thomas, what's up? Boop, touch it." Right, I mean that's what that's what happens. I don't think he did the boop, I mean, maybe he did, I don't know, but, you know. He could have. <laughs> Jesus is kind of fun like that. I mean, he walked through a door that was locked. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, he just walked, up. what's up, y'all? I mean, that would have been crazy. So, like, Jesus, he took a little bit of doubt and he, and he filled it. He, that's what God does. God is, a, he is, that's why we look at Jesus, he's a provider. He's a provider. I love the story of, of Moses. We're actually going to talk about Moses here in a couple of weeks, but Moses, I love, I love the story of Moses where Moses was called um, by God through this burning bush to, to go to the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let the people of Israel go, let them out of slavery, send them into freedom. That's what God was sending Moses to do. And what did Moses say? Moses Moses was in a place of lack. He was in a place of need because he said, I can't do that. I I don't speak well i have a speech impediment like he's gonna look at me and laugh this is what moses says back to god and god says moses who made your mouth oh got nothing to say to that and then he said and then moses he started to to give more excuses and i love what god does with moses next is he he tells moses he says moses take your hands stick them into your cloak and he sticks them into his cloak pulls them back out and then They're turned to leprosy, this disease of skin-eating disease. His hands are all leprous. And God says, now stick them back. And he sticks them back, and he does that. And then he says, what is that in your hand? It's a staff. He says, take that staff, throw it on the ground. He throws it on the ground. He turns it into a snake. Oh, snap. There it is, the snake right there. And he says, pick it up. And so he picks it up, turns it back into a staff. And God is showing Moses, look, what do you have? I can use it. I can use it, and I can feel it. So what do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? I believe when Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.20, when he said, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. I, be- I don't know if you believe that, but I believe that. When he writes in Philippians 4.13, when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Do I believe that? I ask myself that question all the time, but... Here's the thing, if we really, truly believe that, then we can't possibly be an underdog. We can't possibly be an underdog. If we will offer God what we have, we can trust him to give us what we need. If we will offer God what we have, we can trust him to give us what we need. And so here's here's the bottom line for the message today. If you get nothing else, if you take nothing else, if you don't write anything else down, write this down. But it's simply this. Is that God's key, or uh, let, me, let me rephrase it. Let me, say, let me say it like this. God's key to what we need is what we have. Or what we have is God's key to what we need. We'll, we'll, that's what's on the screen, so we'll say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, we have, what we have is God's key to what we need. That's, that's the bottom line. What you have is God's key to what you need. What do you have? What's in the house? What do you have? We will offer God what we have. We can trust him to give us what we need. Let me finish these verses out. Verse 5. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. So they took all of these jars, they took that little bit of oil. She didn't have a whole lot of oil, she just had a little bit of oil. She took it, God multiplied it, blessed it. She started pouring it into jars, pouring it into jars, setting one aside, pouring it into another, setting it aside, and it just kept flowing. The oil just kept flowing. The jars kept being filled up. There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. Verse 7, she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, Pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. When she offered what she had, God took care of what she needed. When she offered what she had, God took care of what she needed. What we have is God's key to what we need. Listen, I believe that if you find yourself in a place of lack, you find yourself in a place of need, you find yourself in a place of empty, if you will step out I believe with all of my heart when you step out with faith that God will step in. I believe that. I believe that with all of my heart. I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. I want you to hear me very clearly when I say this because this is really important. Because some of you, you find yourself in a place of lack where you're like broke as a joke. You're college broke. Like you're broker than broke. You know what I mean? Like you're really, really, like your place of lack is a place of money. And so in, in your mind, maybe, maybe somebody told you one time, they said, hey, you know what? If you'll just empty out your bank account and give it all to the church, then God will bless that. Don't do that. My executive pastor is going to throw something at me. But listen, don't do that. Don't do that because I don't want you, I don't want you doing something with, with false hope because God doesn't say that he's going to just bless everything, that, that, when you, that when you give everything that you have that he'll bless it to the point, listen, he's going to bless you, but probably not in the way that you think that he's going to bless you. Like you're, you're, what you may think is that if you do that, then what's going to happen is, is you're going to go to the mailbox on Monday and there's going to be a check for three times the amount that you gave in there. That might happen. Okay, uh, that might happen, but it might not also. And I see people do this all the time. It's like, man, the pastor told me, man, if I would just just give everything that I have, if I'd just give all of my money, so I gave all of my money, and I went to the mailbox on Monday, and there wasn't a check there, and so now I'm broke, and the bills are coming, and, and creditors are coming, and I don't know what to do. Now I'm just pissed off at God. And then people walk away. So I want you to understand that the gospel doesn't say that everything will always be rainbows and unicorns. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be tough. The reason why sometimes it's going to be hard and sometimes it's going to be tough is because God is strengthening your faith. Because he wants to do what only he can do. So that our faith will be multiplied. So that when we bring what little faith that we have, when God steps into it, when we step out in that, that God steps in. Does that make sense? What we have is God's key to what we need. And when we bring what we have, listen, I believe that God, when we bring it for God's honor and for God's glory, I believe that God is in it and that God can multiply it and that God can bless it, but it might not always come in the way that you think it's going to come. Because God tells us that he takes care of all of our needs, not all of our wants. And that's just the truth of the gospel. We, um, here at the Ridge, we when you walk in here, I, I told you about it a minute ago, but when you walk in here, there's a table out there called Ridge Central. And on that table there is resources, free books, all kinds of things. And there's a book out there called how good is good enough by Andy Stanley. It's a fantastic book. It's only like 90 pages. If you don't have that book, I encourage you to just pick it up on your way out of here um, when you leave here in a few minutes. But uh, that, that book is is a great book. And and we offer all of that stuff for free. Those Bibles, the books. I mean, I think everything out there on the table is absolutely free except for the T-shirts. But um, if you need one of those, we'll give you one of those too. But uh, you know, like everything out there is, is it's free. It, it costs you nothing. But for us as a church, we don't get it for free. It actually costs us something. It, and as a matter of fact, it cost us a lot of something. It costs us a lot of money to be able to offer those resources to you guys for free. I'm not telling you that so you write a check. Listen, I want you, I just, there's a story to this, okay? It it costs it cost somebody something. It, it costs us something. And so there are times like... Uh, by the end of today, a lot of y'all, you're going to go out there, you're going to grab that book, How Good is Good Enough, and we're not going to have any, and so Rusty, you're going to have to order some more books on, on Monday, and so when we have to order some more books on Monday, we're going to look at things and we're going to go, man, that costs a lot of money. Man, that's, gosh, ugh, do we have that? I don't know if we have it, but you know what? Every single time from the very beginning, as in day one of this church, we have always had a resource table with free books on it from day one, and it cost us money to do that. But listen, the only reason I tell you this is this: is that we have no doubt in our minds that if we will bring what we have, God will use it, and we've seen it happen over and over and over and over again. So we don't look at the cost; we're not we don't look at that and go, "Man, you know, it's not like a begrudgingly like we I don't have to you know hold Rusty down, and be like write the check, you know, you know that kind of thing. Like we don't we don't have to do that. Uh, we do it we do it lovingly and because we want to. But but here's the thing. That book, How Good is Good Enough, I got a phone call from a woman not too long ago, and she called here at the church, picked up the phone, said hello. She said, "She said you don't know who I am. I don't know you, really. She said, but I want you to know that my son recently visited your church, and he picked up a copy of this book, How Good is Good Enough, by Andy Stanley. And he read it, like in one sitting. Like he read it in about 45 minutes, and he didn't put it down. In his room... Uh, and he walked out, and when he walked out of his room, he came up to me, and he said, Mom, I read this book. And this guy, he's like, you know, 22, 23 years old. He said, said, Mom, I, I read this book, and at the end of this book, it told me how to become a Christian, and I gave my life to Jesus because of this book. And she said, she said, so I wanted you to know that because you gave my son this book, that he gave his life to Christ, and I just wanted to call and say thank you for that. And it's that right there. It's that story right there. It's things like that right there that makes us go every single time. Man, if we will just bring what we have, God will use it. God will bless it. Even if we find ourselves in a place of lack. Because what we have is God's key to what we need. Second Corinthians 4, 7. Let me find it. Hold on, I'm going to go to the table of contents. No, I'm just kidding. All right, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.7 says this. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. I want you to understand that you and I are these fragile jars of clay. That, that, that we are these fragile jars of clay, and God is looking for these empty jars to fill up. And so when, when we bring what we have, when, when, when we say, what, what do you have in the house? I, I got a little bit of faith. I got a little bit of doubt. I got a, I got a little bit of this. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to bring this. I know it's just a little, but God, I'm expecting you to step into a little and be my provider. To be my provider. If that's you, you're, you're here this morning, maybe that's where you find yourself. You find yourself in a place of lack. You find yourself in a place of need. And so I'll ask you the question, what do you have in the house? Do you have a little bit of faith? Because I believe that if you have a little bit of faith, God can take your little bit of faith and multiply it, and multiply it. Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you for your word this morning, God. We thank you for how you have spoken to us, God, for how you have... Um, just stepped into uh, stepped into our world this morning. You've always been there, but God, we just we're just thankful that that we are very aware of you right now.